You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello and welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. End of the year. Cannot believe it. Cannot believe it. If you are (laughs) celebrating this week, this month, I hope you've had as much of a relaxing holiday as you can. Yeah, truly. Entering the new year, it's important if you can take some time to yourself and just be with people as well that you love and can feel like you can be yourself around, that would be probably really good. I was with a friend yesterday and she was like, there's only 15 days like left in the year. There's only a few, however many days left in the year. And I was like, oh, that's like, she's like, I keep seeing that all over Instagram. I'm like, that's like the opposite of what I'm seeing on Instagram. I keep seeing Mm -hmm. like to rest. (laughs) And I'm like, that's so funny. Like, oh, what do you mean? Like 15 days left. So like do as much as you can. Yeah. yeah, 15 days to hustle, 15 days to make it happen. Or, you know, 15 is an arbitrary number, but just saying that the number of days left in the year means you have this many days to make it happen in 2019. And I'm like, I'm seeing the opposite message. Yeah. And it's really just what you're looking for is what you see. Mm-hmm. And what I'm looking for is for the rest. And she, I guess, is looking for the inspiration. But it's so funny how, you know, there's such conflicting things that are going on all the time that are can be so confusing. So confusing. I feel like you have like a, a Gary Vee type character and then, you know, someone who's like meditating on a cloud type character. What did uh, Shan though said that Gary Vee has something called in December he calls... I'm forgetting what the terminology or phrase is, but he calls something in December, something specific, and it relates to it just being the month of the year where you wrap everything up, Mm. where you're only doing things internally. You're really cleaning out your inboxes. You're cleaning out all your invoices, responding to everything that you need to, and really just making it like a time where you're not really being seen on social and being seen seen online. Because she was saying that uh, Shan Booty, who's actually in this episode as one of um, our guests that we've had on. We also did a live show with her. She's incredible. She's a sexologist, but she was talking about how in December, she's not really going to be on social at all. She's not posting, she's not doing stories and she's kind of taking the time to like decompress and shut down um, while she can. Yeah. I was talking to another person. They're not as um, present on social media or or followers wise um, as big, but they were just expressing like uh, it's, I need to get off, like at least for a week. And just kind of like their their energy around it, I was like, whoa, yeah, you do. Like, you know, I, I do think this year kind of triggers, can can be triggering, especially on social media where there's just a lot being purchased or, you know, yeah. just a lot out there. Or maybe um, you see things that you might not have, whether it's like with a family or friend, I don't know. I just think it, it can be a, a time on social media that might be a little a lot. <laughs> yeah. Especially too, you know, with family, if you lost a family member, mm-hmm. it's, you know, maybe it's your first year without someone or, you know, or maybe your parents are separated or maybe you aren't with the person that you previously were. So the yeah, others, it's definitely the reflection time can be very 
incredible, but also very triggering. But, you know, it's always an opportunity to really look inward and mm-hmm. figure out, you know, what each of those situations or, um, op- or people are opportunities for you to realize more about yourself. Yeah. And I think that's why we do, you know, the best of. Yeah. Because it's the best. And really there is, we just put out so much content throughout the year, uh, two episodes a week of just life-changing information. And I can say that because it's mostly our guests, but they provide this, you know, insight that we could apply and it would even take a year to really impact our lives. But we are given so much information that it sometimes can be hard to disseminate what to do and what to apply. So the best of is just going to provide everyone with nuggets of beauty and insight and glorious inspiration from all mm-hmm. these people that we love and we respect. And it's just an invitation for us to just take a few moments and to just absorb it and just to really uh, feel it. Yeah. It's always so hard to choose the best of because we just have so many incredible guests, not to brag, but we do. But we are hearing from about, in this part one of the best of, we are hearing from about seven guests who we felt like the conversations we had you know, really deserve some revisiting and just kind of reabsorptions. Cause sometimes, you know, when we listen, maybe it's not the time to take it in or let it land. So this might be the right time. And sometimes Krista and I do this selfishly too, cause we're like, we really need to like revisit this again and, and, um, re-experience that conversation. So, uh, first up is Ruthie Lindsay and she is sharing her thoughts around shame around sex um, she also shares, you know, her experience in in uh, processing and moving through anger and trauma, and also what she would, you know, give as advice or just kind of comfort for anyone going through a similar pain and trauma. Yeah, Ruthie's super inspiring, and if you guys follow her on Instagram. You probably love her as much as we do. The next one is with Shaman Durek. And this is one that we got so much feedback on. Me and Lindsay were crying, of course. And (laughs) it's just super empowering. It talks about queen energy. Queens don't argue, I think was tagged to me on Instagram over hundreds of times. Uh, We talk about the feminine energy and masculine symbols. We talk about examples of women being empowered and using their intuition. And you guys will feel ready to go after that one. Mm-hmm, for sure. And then we speak to Shan Boudram, who we just had our live show with. And we talk a lot about confidence and insecurities and how you can find confidence and in insecurities. We talk about purpose and finding her path and a bit of her journey and how she got into uh, this space of sexology. And um, we talk about desire, self-pleasure and open relationships. And then Jedediah Jenkins, one of my um, manifestations for 2019 was hopefully to have him on. And it was such a joy and a pleasure to hang out with Jedediah at Onsite in Nashville and then to have him come on the show. In this one, we talk about how he channels creativity. If you guys can see Jedediah on Instagram or read any of his books, you guys know that he is a true icon and true inspiration in the creativity space. How to be kind to your future self. And then a lot about his experience growing up in a really Christian household as a gay man. So it's a beautiful, beautiful journey with Jed. Yeah. And next we have Dr. Perlmutter who wrote Green Brain, such a sweetheart and so smart. And um, we just got so much from this interview. We talk about the gut and brain connection 
and really how we can use our diet, exercise, lifestyle to improve that. We talk about the wheat industry in America, which was kind of terrifying and super interesting, and the lifestyle choices that can be preventative. And just parts of this conversation are just so empowering for you to take, you know, take the driver's seat in your own health. Doesn't mean you have to totally give up wheat and gluten, but Dr. Perlmutter makes just really important and impactful points around our overconsumption of wheat. Yeah, and the gut brain connection, which is really. That was my favorite part too. Erin uh, Rose is next. Erin Rose, who is our lovely coach and really a truly inspirational intergalactic being. And a lot of our conversation with Erin was really feeling into um, allowing ourselves to get dreamy about what is possible. So we often are so quick to analyze within our life all the negatives and within society and culture and to kind of think that the world is in great dismay, but by never giving us the opportunity to think about what is actually possible or what it would actually feel like to wake up in a world where everything that you hope is possible or happening is something that we can you know, be here now with. So a lot of Aaron's work is around intuition, around social justice, around his journey to become the person that he is today. And um, there is a lot of good nuggets within this set. Yeah. And finally, we have Angela Manuel Davis. So we interviewed Angela at the Propel Fitness Festival this past year. She is just a force to be reckoned with. Um, She talks a lot about holding space and where that comes from and her upbringing. She also talks out leaning into your life and surrendering to the call on her life and how we can really feel and do that ourselves. We talk a lot about kindness and humanity and compassion and empathy and forgiveness. And I just, you know, when Angela speaks... I listen. So hopefully you feel that she, she is a really, um, what's a, what I do love about Angela is that as much as she speaks and is powerful in that way, her ability to listen is also just as powerful, you know, sitting there with her, I really felt, I felt like she was there with us. And I, I do think her commitment to being present in the moment is one that I think of really often as we try to live in our purpose. I think that's a really integral part. So I think you'll love that one. Yeah, looking forward to this. There are some amazing people we have coming on episode two happening on Thursday. So be on the lookout for that and make sure to send this to your friends. You know, if they just need a little bit of inspiration or um, you find one of these parts to be really resonant with you, we love to share with our community. And this is how we've grown, you know, you women and men and they and them as part of our community have shared with one another. And it's been such a beautiful part of making almost 30 what it is today. Thanks so much for listening. And we hope you have a wonderful holiday season and great start to the new year. And we will be releasing part two in just a couple of days. So enjoy part one, share with your friends and we'll see you soon. Yeah. Happy holidays. When everything imploded for me, I honestly kind of walked away And I worked for two churches and I saw a lot of pretty yucky stuff. And I've like done a lot of work around like forgiveness and not directly at me, but people I really loved. And it was pretty not okay. I mean, not pretty. It was very much not okay, the things that I saw. And so I was just like, if that's what Christianity is, 
I'm out of here. Like, yeah. nope, mm-hmm. I want nothing to do with that. And whoever that was, that God doesn't feel very good to me anyway. Like I, you know, my, it's supposed to be an earthly representative. Like your father's earthly representative of like a Godhead. I'm like, my God would, my dad would never treat me this way. This feels so mean to me. And it was just a very close idea and a very limiting idea. And it's been such a precious journey. And honestly, in the last year is the most of it. Like I, everything feels so different to me now. Like I have never felt so connected to a, a source. And it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily look like what my, what I believed in college or even after that, it feels so much more expansive than that. And I don't even necessarily have a name for it because it's so much bigger and there's so much awe and mystery that source, whatever it is that loves us so much. And I feel inside of me and I feel connected to, I feel the oneness of how we're all so connected and there's no one greater than anyone else. And even with like nature and plants and animal, like I just feel that oneness. And I've actually never talked about this publicly. I'm a big believer in like plant medicine. And that's been a huge part of my journey of expansion and understanding that oneness on such a precious, beautiful level. And I just see whatever we want to name as God, like in everything, in people, in myself, in experiences, in everything that's happened in my past. Like I know that every single part of what at the time felt like such ugliness and so mean um, was so loving to get me to exactly where I am today. And I love, oh, I used to have so much shame about that girl that lived in her bed, like it's just wasted so much time and so much mm-hmm. life and caused so much hurt and so much pain, which, you know, there's immense we made and I've asked forgiveness. And, but I love her so much. I like love her so much. That mm-hmm. sweet, beautiful lost girl mm-hmm. because she helped me find myself. Like mm-hmm. I find scars, physical, emotional, spiritual wounds, scars as these like incredible roadmaps, honestly, back to ourselves and to our truest whole selves and the ones that we were born with, our souls that, you know, life happens and these stories are told to us that aren't, I don't believe to be true so often. And so it's been this unwinding of these old stories that I've believed, truly believed. I hated my body for so long because I thought it was the source of my pain and I treated it ugly. I didn't say I hated it. I said my body hated me and I treated it so ugly. And the way I talked about it, the way I lived in it was just, and now y'all, oh my God, I literally, I love being naked more than I can ever begin to tell you. (laughs) And I just, I love taking back. I love doing good things because for my body and I'm like, oh my God, like you chose this body to encase your soul and divinity lives inside of you and you are so strong and so beautiful. And like, you're not broken, you are whole. And like this healing that you've believed is for everyone else is yours, that is for you. And I literally like, when I'm hurting, I'll just hold my neck or whatever is the source of the deepest pain. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I know you're trying to protect me and I'm so grateful. 
thank you that we're safe now so you can let go. Like we're safe and I honor you and I'm so grateful for you. And I just like, oh, like this body, I just, I love it so much. And I I think so often in sometimes in Christian cultures and others, it's like, forget yourself and go out and serve. And, and that's such a disservice to your soul. Like when I have, the more in love I have fallen in, in love with myself and who I truly am, I am, I love people so much better. Like we can't try to forget ourselves. Loving yourself is the most loving thing you can do for the world. You know, like it's not selfish. It's so pure and it's so beautiful. And when you're living out of that expansive, abundant love, I am able to walk out of my front door and love creation out of such fullness and love, you know, the man that I just met and my lift so much better. And like, it just, it feels so different. It's so abundant and it's coming out of such fullness. And before when I was like, forget yourself, you're being so selfish. Don't be so depraved. Don't, you know, I was living out of a more scarcity idea. And it was, there was a shame when I thought I was like being self-centered or I don't know. It just feels so different. It feels Mm. so drastically different as I've like fallen back in love with myself and who I was created to be and like doing this sort of like healing, loving work. It's like, I believe healed people heal people and transform people, transform people. And it's the most loving thing that we can do in this life is like heal ourselves so we can bring healing to the world, you know? And so that's been my journey. It's been the most beautiful, precious, sweetest privilege. Like I am just in awe constantly. And I'm like, oh my God, this life I get to live. And like, the people I get to live with, these members of my soul family that I get to do this life with blow my goddamn mind. Like, I can't believe this is my life. And I just feel so honored. And like, my pain feels like this precious teacher that has given me like the greatest gifts in this life. And it's not in this like, I don't know, sometimes I'm like, I hope that hasn't doesn't come off as this Pollyannish-ish, like... Like life's really hard and it doesn't take away that things are still really painful and hard. And I'm not diminishing that. Like I feel that, but the level that I've let myself actually experience that, it's like, it's taken the power away from it. And I can kind of open armed, open hand, like, I don't know. It doesn't carry the white knuckle feeling that it used to. It feels so, I feel so peaceful with it. You said that queens don't argue. Mm. And I'd love to just kind of um, go deeper on what do queens do? Like as it relates to sex, relationships, self-care, all of that. So when you have your crown on, you're holding a majesty. The majesty is operating from the understanding of you are in one, preservation with yourself. So it's you first. It's like, you know, how everyone has like me too. I'm like, no, we need to do you first, the you first movement, right? The biggest thing that women have done to themselves that has been detrimental to every level of their health, um, their, you know, their psychological well-being, their family structure, and even the way the kids are developed is operate in sacrifice mode. Operating mm. in sacrifice mode is what I call 
it's like, you know, like there was this show called Dune and it was like, I must not fear. I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Literally, it's the mind killer. It's the, it, it kills you. It destroys you. It destroys your children. It destroys your home. It destroys everything about you because you operate from the idea that I have to give everything of my well and leave nothing for myself in hopes that everyone will love me and fill me back up. But if they don't, then I'm nobody and I might as well die and then I'll go get cancer and make it happen. And that's not supportive. Mm. So being a queendom is knowing first, you first. Then it's about understanding the kingdom in which you live in and how can you provide now that you're filled up, your fill up. That's why I call everyone, I tell people get full. Like when people say to me, like, what should I be focused on? I'm like, get full. First, get full. Like if you're not full and you're giving stuff away, you're out of alignment. And, it, and it's like, I always tell people, it's always, it's alignment over hustle. Get rid of the hustle. Mm. The hustle is the knife in your back that will keep stabbing mm. you. And it literally will bring you to the wrong people, to the wrong events, to the wrong situations, to the wrong types of things that you're in. I mean, to the wrong husband or wife or wow. whoever you're with, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. The get full mentality is to fill yourself up. So that way your overflow is what you give away. The queen knows that. So she knows that she has to be full to fill herself up. And remember, filling yourself up isn't just getting manicures and pedicures and massages and like really cool like spa days. Filling yourself up is also the way in which you speak to yourself. It's the way in which you allow yourself. It's the way that you react to things. It's the way that which you see yourself in your own value because you exist, not from the value of I'm valuable when someone says I'm valuable and there I'm going to love myself then. So all the Louis Vuittons and Gucci bags and Prada and all that stuff, I call those like insecurity gifts, right? Because it's like, if you're, if you're antiquating your value on your material possessions, a queen doesn't do that. She knows that her possessions, she likes them, but they don't define her. She is the defining force of energy. She has the wisdom inside of herself and she doesn't need to argue with anyone about the wisdom. If they're ready to sit at her throne and listen to her wisdom, then come and sit. But I'm not here to fight you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to pull your hair. When it comes to their children, she creates a container for her children to learn about themselves and guides them with love in her heart by asking them, how do you feel? What do you feel? Like getting involved in the way that they perceive things, but not forcing her viewpoints onto her children so that they can have their own perspective that can support her as well. So the, the, the queen knows that the act of giving is the act of receiving through the act of allowance, right? And so when you get into that space, when it comes to sex and all of these different things, my mom used to always say to me, and she said this to me one time, because I know she was going on this date with this person. And I go, mom, what did you do? And she's like, well, I had my vibrator. I fulfilled myself. And I was like, why, mom? She goes, because I'm going on a date with this guy. And I don't want to have that heat inside of me. That which way. So every time he says something, I, that heat is getting stronger and stronger. And all of a sudden, I can't think straight. Like, mm-hmm. I need to be the queen. I need to have my mind fully present with me. And I need to make sure that I'm well taken care of. So when he pulls any kind of sexual innuendos at me and things like that, I'm good. Wow. And the one time she went on his date and this guy like invited Genius. her house and he wasn't ready. And he actually dropped it. He came out of the shower. He's like, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And he dropped his towel. And my mom's like looking at him and he's like, he's like, huh? My mom's like, very nice. Now let's go put your clothes on and let's go to dinner. Love her. And the thing is, what my mom always says is that a woman must fulfill herself so that she is not hungry. When she's not hungry and thirsty, she's able to think. She's able to operate her kingdom in the right way. She doesn't step out of her power center. 
That's how women fell from grace. They left their power center and was willing to trade it for acknowledgement, for validation, for acceptance. No, babies. You accept yourself right now, today. Not because you had something or you had to achieve something or you had to do something. It's the fact that you're created. For all the spirits to come and create you, let me just tell you, there's no one like you in the world and there never will be. You can use every mathematical equation. You cannot, you cannot bring another you unless we duplicate every single thing every ancestor and every family ate, saw, did, heard, and was at in any part of the world. And that's just not astronomically correct. We're really not that different. I think we look at ourselves on like this microscope level where we're like, super analyzing ourselves and looking at every single minor detail and feeling so alone in the process. Like no one can relate to what I'm going through. But in truth, like humans, like we're really all not not that different. Our experiences aren't that different. So that's why I decided like, what's the harm in sharing? You know, there's might be some people who have never gone through what I've gone through and are like, that's so weird. She's weirdly weird. She's a freak. I don't relate to her. But most people are like, I know what they're talking about. I know that feeling. I know that experience. I know that pain. I know that joy. Um, And that moment where we get to connect with somebody is, I think, why we make content. So it just was a decision of realizing how basic I am and how many other people could relate to my basicity. Um, And that's just... That was trademark that shit. Basicity, honey. (laughs) Honey, Trademark that shit. I actually don't know this from your story, but what was it about like sex and relationships? Like what in your life was like, made you choose that as something, as your calling? You know, it's fascinating. I think when we think of purpose, we think of going forward. Like we have to find our purpose, go get our purpose, walk towards our purpose. But in most cases, it's really about going back. Like if you thought about your earliest interests, like what you wanted to be when you were five, uh, what you were fascinated by when you were a kid. And I was really interested in like sex. Um, I was really interested in just human connection and touching. Mm. Like I always got called like lewd by my mom. Like I was very like touchy. I was always hugging. Like I used to say to my mom, like I am in love with you. Like I am just like the passionate feeling. As you touch I, her boob. Right. <laughs> I was always curious too. I'm just like, why, why not? Yeah, yeah. I was just so like enamored and just my Barbies were always naked. And I remember my first sexual experience being consensual with a pillow and being awesome. And enjoying it. And I had a friend actually who like told on me and I got in trouble for it. But nonetheless, like I don't remember thinking of my sexuality, my body of loving other people like a bad thing. I remember just like some kids are really good at the piano. I was like, this is my shit. And I went to a Catholic school. And of course, so the so process of elimination, I got like steered away from my passion and I got put in a different direction. And then when I turned 19 years old, essentially what happens when you have a passion for something, but you don't have great information, you tend to look for secret ways. And when you go to the black market, you don't get the best shit, right? You don't get the mm-hmm. best quality of stuff. So my only four outlets for sexual education were porn, uh, were movies, were TV shows. Like Gossip Girl was guided a lot of my mm-hmm. early decisions. This book, The Coldest Winter Ever, informed a lot of my early decisions on sex. And as a result, a really super shit sex life. A really super shit love life. And at 19, I was like, this can't be it. Mm. It's this thing that I've looked forward to my whole life has been such a letdown. And so I got a library card, started reading every single book. And I was like, there's such great information here, but it's boring as fuck. So (laughs) can I be the bridge that puts these things together? And that's when I think I got back towards my purpose. But even then, by 25, I allowed other people's negative perceptions. My book had come out. 
I allowed my family's perceptions and the media and just people in the street to kind of sway me off my path again. And it really honestly wasn't until age 29, 30 that I was like, fuck it. I'm going all in. Like, this is it. This is my passion. This is my purpose. And like, I don't care what anyone else says. Like, I am branding and committing myself to this. Mm. Was it painful, like, being in your early 20s and kind of having that, like, consciousness around sex and your body and then like dating people who not didn't have that you know like i just i just feel like you were kind of floating above it in a way so how did you like what did you learn from that like what did you observe about what people were going through that you were dating in your early 20s I don't know if I pieced it together. Like, I mean, I think that the learning curve is slow. We have to really accept the fact that it takes a long time to put something really into like, you are whoever you consistently choose to be. That's the thing. You have to consistently choose that. You have to start in low risk environments. And so even though I was learning a lot of great information, I don't know if I was challenging myself to constantly make it a part of who I was. And so in my relationships, I was doing an okay job. It really actually wasn't until like 28 that I it clicked into place for me of mm. like, Here's how I actually apply everything that I've learned to dramatically change my outcomes because my outputs are drastically better. And my book, The Game of Desire, is really about that. It's like what I have learned the past 13 years in 80,000 words to put someone into position to be like, okay, like how do I completely get into the driver's seat of my love life, know myself inside and out, know how to flirt, like I know how to cook or like I know how to golf, whatever you're getting exceptional at. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I would love to say that like in my early 20s, I was so much smarter than everybody else making better decisions and they were all just like yeah, no. awful people. No, I was probably part of a lot of problems. You know, if I had toxic relationships, that was me who was saying yes to them or engaging in them or adding fuel to the fire. I, I wouldn't, I don't want to vouch for my love life until like 28. That's when I'm like, yeah, she knew what the fuck she was doing. Mm. And you know, there's all these multifactored things happening in life. I, I actually, one of the most helpful metaphors for being a human that I've ever thought about is a mixing board. So you picture like a mixing board in a recording studio, all those knobs. So your life isn't just one knob, which, you know, humans are very reductionist. So we think, oh, because you're black, you have the black knob turned all the way up. That's your experience, like your black experience. And they're like, actually, my life is really complex. There's like a thousand knobs. And that's like the whole, for me, okay, my like sexuality is gay. So that knob is turned up. But then I'm also like in maybe perhaps because you're trying to, in the mixing board, you're trying to equalize the sound. So I turned up my humor and I turned up charm and I turned up nice and I turned up achieving in school and I turned up being nice to adults and making the adults like me because the kids would make fun of me. And then, oh, actually, if I'm really funny and I can beat the mean jock to a joke, then all the girls like me more than the jock. Uh Uh-oh, power. And I was doing this all the time. So even though my sexuality was confusing, I was like nailing all these other things. I loved school. And without being conscious of it, I like learned how to fit in in such a way where I could succeed. And some people can't, you know, some people based on where their knobs are turned up. Like if you have gay or if you have, if you're a guy and you have feminine turned all the way up, your feminine energy is high and you're in a rural traditional town, that's going to be a hard road for you. 
because you're not fitting into these norms. And so you might turn up humor over here or you might hang out with only the theater girls because they make you feel safe or, you know, all these different things. Like people are just trying to make it and they're like fudging with their knobs. And so I, you know, found my mix by getting super involved in school, by making friends, by being the most fun. And so that's, I mean, that really carried me into college. And then I, because I became a student of my own life, I'm like, hmm, this is so strange. Like I have a different sexual attraction than everyone I know. Mm-hmm. And that is so weird. And I think I'm supposed to feel bad about it, but I don't. I rem- I never did because I knew I didn't choose it. It's not like when you, when you're, when you bully someone and then you feel bad about it because you're like, why did I do that? I see that I hurt somebody. It never made sense to me that I couldn't just fall in love with someone who loved me back. It like, but the Bible said it, my pastor said it, my mom said it, the church said it. So I'm like, I don't think I'm smarter than all these people. Like, I don't think I'm my one little life. I'm 16 years old. I'm, I know something that a 3000 year old biblical scripture doesn't. Like that seems strange. And so, you know, I, I took my sweet time figuring all that out and I became a student of my own experience, which is part of the disassociation. So it didn't feel so urgent. But I mean, that ultimately led me to be romantically delayed in a major way. So, you know, through my 20s, I, you know, I went to undergrad at USC, came out here for college then didn't know what I was going to do. I thought I wanted to be a movie director, but then I realized that being a movie director is like being the boss of like 250 people. And you have to just like be scary. And I was like, no, 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 no. I can't do that. I can't like think of all these factors at once. But what I realized is, oh, that was just, I mislabeled what I wanted, what my spirit wanted, which was to tell stories, to like tell, to articulate ideas because my fa- yeah, my favorite thing was movies growing up. So I was like, oh, I guess I want to make movies. So I moved out here and had a blast again, got super involved in the church because my like desire to mess with my knobs and to be and to belong was keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Well if the church is if the Christian community is challenging me and I don't know what I think about that. I'm going to become the best Christian. I'm going to know the Bible more than everybody because I'm going to, the thing that frightens me, I'm going to dominate it so that I can figure out what the heck my life is. So I became the most and just led Bible studies and read every book about everything and read the Bible back to front all these times. You know, in that community, like there are no openly gay people or if they, I, I was open. I came out when I was 21, but I was like, I'm not acting on it because I don't know what it means. Because I have like, sexuality is a spectrum, but I am like all the way on the gay spectrum. I've like, I can't, people are like, oh, have you ever like made out with a girl or had sex with a girl? I'm like, no. <laughs> have you ever kissed a girl? No. <laughs> I did. My, Blanket, no. My yeah. friend, yeah. My friend Natalie did, when she found out when I was like 23 that I'd never kissed anyone, she was like, uh-uh, I'm going to teach you how to kiss. 
But it felt very much like when you give CPR to that plastic robot. <laughs> I mean, she's a good kisser, but you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like... <clears throat> but anyway, so all that to say, my internal spiritual journey, as I actually decided to become the best Christian, I was like really studying how the Bible was written and all these things. And the deeper you go, you start. I, it really started to dismantle like the way that the Bible saw homosexuality, the way the idea of this, this rigidity of the God that we worshiped just felt, the more I read, the more I was like, this is just, we're doing it wrong. Like we're really doing it wrong. And it just really started to deconstruct my whole situation. And it was around that same time that I realized, oh, I have been on the assembly line of life. Like and now I went from college to law school to work at work at this charity, which I loved, but I didn't choose it. It was just right in front of me. I, I was asked to work there. So I walked through that door and it was life-changing, but it was not my choice. It wasn't for me. And I, I was 26 years old, 27. And I'm like, whoa, I'm like a man. I've never kissed anyone in my life. I've never even so much held a hand. I am like... This is my one and only life. And it was almost it, this like confluence of moments just like snapped me into, I need to like make some choices. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to walk in faith and I'm going to like date boys. I'm going to kiss a boy. And if God is pissed, then he'll make me know that. Hello, walk in faith. Like he will change, he will show me. And if he's like, newsflash, I always wanted you to do this. Get busy. I'd be like, dope. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, and I, I think I want to write books. And that's scary, but I'm not getting younger. I don't have a family. I don't have a mortgage. I'm going to be 30 and that feels like a grown-up. And so I'm going to quit my job when I turn 30 and I'm going to go on this big adventure and write a book about it. And so I did. What about the wheat industry in America specifically? that people are, you know, ingesting is affecting us in this way? And why isn't it happening in certain parts of the world? It's a terrific question. And uh, certainly, I, I will just say parenthetically that uh, grain grain was not embraced by the weed industry, you can be sure. Uh, <laughs> immediately, they put up a website called Grains for Your Brain. No play on grain brain whatsoever, obviously. Wow. Which wow. didn't really tell you anything, but that we should all be eating grains because we should just be eating grains. And they left it at that. But that said, you know, even gluten free uh, grain foods are a very concentrated source of carbohydrate by and large. That's why they were so popular because it allowed us to harvest these grains and then store them and travel and explore the world and discover America, which is always kind of an interesting idea that Columbus discovered America when uh, because he had wheat and he had food and he discovered America, which hadn't been discovered before, that although there were already 4 million people living here, uh, we'll leave that for another discussion. But with that said, you know, these are the virtues of, our, of, the, of the agricultural revolution that it allowed us to have the Sistine Chapel and put a man on the moon, whatever, you know, this is a great thing. But the reality is that human health took a huge nosedive with the advent of agriculture. I mean, that was the first major challenge to our Paleolithic genome. And uh, our brains have shrunken 10% since that time. Dentition has become poorer. Uh, bones are thinner. 
and our Paleolithic ancestors. And as a matter of fact, we did have 90-year-old and 100-year-old people living in those times. Was lifespan shorter than it is now? Yes, it was, because children would die and people would die in childbirth, uh, newborns and mothers, and people would die of trauma. So it brought the average down, but we had people, not we had, but the fossil evidence shows that people lived, uh, could live to a very uh, old age. Uh, and if things are getting better and better, then why has longevity declined in America for men and women now for the uh, second year in a row ever in history, if things are going in the right direction? With all due respect, I submit that they are not. But uh, with respect to grain, uh, what we see is while wheat in America is not genetically modified, nonetheless, it is still sprayed with this herbicide glyphosate a weed killer, because farmers have been convinced to spray their wheat with glyphosate because it'll ripen it, it'll dry it, it desiccates it more quickly, they can bring it to market and make more money. So wheat-based foods from wheat derived in America are threatening because of their glyphosate content, because of their gluten content, and because they are high in carbohydrate and low in fiber. Uh, and if you're eating a lot of wheat-based foods, you're not eating other foods, which may very well be good for you. So we discussed in Grain Brain five years ago the notion that you can be sensitive to gluten and not have celiac disease. And that was so challenging. To this day, uh, nutritious dietitians write blogs about Grain Brain saying, look, if you don't have celiac disease, you should be eating a lot of wheat gluten because it's good for you. Well, because they didn't want to believe that there is something called non-celiac gluten sensitivity, which is what we described in Grain Brain. And it was you know, rejected in both medical and nutritional communities. So uh, how validating it was that the Journal of the American Medical Association in 2017 in research published from Harvard School of Medicine, fully validated the notion of non-celiac gluten sensitivity, and even further than that, indicated that this is a pervasive issue in humans, that they can have sensitivity issues related to gluten that have nothing to do with the gut, that can involve the brain and the joints and the skin and fatigue and, and other issues. So it's been a very uh, high degree of validation for what really was very disruptive five years ago. In that respect, for people listening, is it going gluten-free or is it the low sugar or what are some things that they should be looking out for and thinking about as it relates to their diet? It's actually both. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because Chris, if you go to your grocery store and walk down the gluten-free aisle, you're going to see foods that are hugely threatening to your life because they're high in sugar. I mean, you have gluten-free breads, cakes, pastas, pie, filling, you name it. And so it's not just the going gluten-free that is important. Avoiding sugar, I believe, is the number one issue of our time. Uh, and artificial sweeteners by virtue of the fact that they threaten the gut bacteria as well and are associated with obesity and diabetes. But so I think it's, it's the two. I think we should be as gluten-free as we can be, but definitely sugar and understanding where sugar is coming from. It's, you know, the hidden sources of sugar are everywhere. 
Uh, 80% of foods in a standard grocery store have added sugar. No, you know, we don't talk about it. Uh, and I guess you don't add sugar to orange juice, but even your 12 ounce glass of orange juice has nine teaspoons of sugar, 36 grams of sugar. You may as well drink a can of Coke. Not that I'm saying that's a good idea. So maybe instead we should drink Diet Coke. Well, uh, what we now recognize is that consumption of artificially sweetened beverages is associated uh, with a dramatic increased risk of obesity and diabetes. Why would that be? There's no sugar. What well, has to do with the changes in the gut uh, bacteria that, you know, drinking the, and, and we all know people, they suck down the Diet Coke every single day and they're gaining weight. That's published literature. That comes from a study in France of 70,000 women. Wow. So uh, this is this is what it's not that Dr. Perlmutter is telling you this on your on your show today. It's peer-reviewed literature uh, that is uh, was in this book and in Brain Maker as well. And we it is something that really is uh, devastating because what we've seen in the past five years is a reduction in carbohydrate consumption overall. Yet obesity rates and overweight continue to increase. So that curve remains going sky high, whereas carbohydrates have leveled off and started to decline. And some people look at that graph and say, aha, you see, it it isn't the carbs that are making uh, people fat. Uh, But what's happening is, A, there's been dramatic changes to the microbiome from a variety of issues, including medications. And B, people are uh, substituting their carbohydrates with artificially sweetened foods and beverages which are clearly associated mechanistically with making people uh, gain weight. So uh, not what you want to do. I really, really love that. I've never thought about it in that way. And related to to that, I saw an Instagram post that you did that I really, really loved and really resonated with me and taught me something that I, I need to think about. Um, was related to being real on Instagram and would love for you to fill it in. But what I gathered from it was that you talked a lot about how being real seems to be related to negativity in a way. So you're being, you're considered real on Instagram if you are writing about your anxiety, your depression, how work is hard, how your relationship's hard, more or less the hard challenging parts of your life. But the realness doesn't really happen on Instagram when people are really standing in their power and really sharing moments of like true alignment and power within who they are. And I thought that was very true because I noticed that within myself where I will share more of like the challenging parts because I feel like I do need to relate on that level rather than like something that really feels truly deeply aligned and powerful for me. As an example, my relationship, I don't share much about because I feel like it will make others feel bad if I talk too much about things that are really good for me. So powerful. And I, and I feel that from you about your relationship. Like I, it's like almost this like untapped well energy where it's like, damn, I know this relationship is great. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it, like, it's so important to you and it brings so much joy to you and, and, and that it is such a possibility. Right. And it's like, did it come too easily to you or did it, you know, have you had it for too long when everybody's still trying to manifest their boo and like, has it set you? And mm. it's like all of, it's almost like that energy of privilege, which is something that is related to mm-hmm. all of the identity stuff. It's like, Literally. how dare you yeah. be freaking happy with the soul that you chose to connect with in this lifetime so that you can 
can actually serve the world. Yeah. Um, so I can't wait to hear more about your relationship. Yeah. And and to answer the question, it's it's always for me about this polarity and this duality, right? And this balance of yes, sometimes the lesson is. I've been posting everything with the Paris filter and being like, I love my life and, you know, this amazing thing's happening. And um, actually something very intense is happening that I've been omitting, right? And sometimes the real thing is to lean into that and say, this is what's going on. Um, but I think that the the current climate of social media has us all kind of searching for the relatable flaws and I would love us to search for like our relatable brilliance and our relatable wow. just power. I'm just, I saw this image of someone where you got the long, I mean, I'm always right up against that Instagram caption limit. Um, <laughs> the long post of all the, you know, like, this is what I've learned from this intense thing. And then someone like gets a book deal or they fall in love and it's like, life's pretty great peace emoji, right? And it's even like the way that we write that caption where it's like, I can't write this whole big thing about how amazing it is because it might make people feel bad rather than saying, actually, I'm not interested in arguing for our limitations and like, you're really freaking amazing. Mm. And like, show it to me. Like, let us just see you radiating and receive that as a, rec as a reflection of how amazing all of us are. Wow. Yeah, that's so powerful. I think the relatable brilliance like hit me in a way because I, I'm fascinated by and I've definitely been in this mode of being addicted to um, just not being happy or not letting myself be happy, not feeling that joy. And it has to do with like how I grew up and like what I was modeled and... I do think societally, like we are not, we are, you know, with what we see on the news, like the documentaries we see on Netflix, like it, it, it does have this heaviness. And so if we stay there, you know, there, we will live in the lack and always need to want more, have more, do more. And thus, if we are in a place of peace and acceptance and of gratitude and pride then like I, I think to me it feels like then where would the mind go you know like because sometimes when the mind has like stuff to ruminate on and sink into that's like it's comfort because it has things to do but then if it's you know and there's breath and there's lightness it's like we were talking about before that free fall and it's like unreal but it's also fucking terrifying so I'm like so curious about like your your um, possible deep dive into like the behavioral side of all of this, you know, and, and what that has been like, because it's just, this conversation is making me think about that, how we're addicted to that low Completely. and relating on that low. Yeah. And I'm going to live into the medicine just like, and express that I'm loving this conversation. Right. And I feel that sense of expansion. And it was interesting to note even like how your energy changed as soon as you started talking about like, oh my God, what if it could be this amazing? Like your whole face lit up and you were like, mm. I always see this image of like a little flying squirrel who's just like left in it. Like <laughs> it's gonna land, but it's just like, 
I'm really little. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a lot of air around me. <laughs> like, that's how it feels to be a human sometimes. Oh my god, I that needs to be myself. your visual. That needs to be like your first animation, yeah. your Great. cartoon that Great. you create. <laughs> I'm receiving it. And just to be clear, I'm describing myself as a flying squirrel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to be it too. I know. <laughs> you can own it. Um, and... Yeah, just like and all the levity that just came into this conversation of like, whew, what if we let ourselves feel really good? And for me, I think I lived in so like my when I think about the first like two and a half decades of my life, it's just like Eeyore, <laughs> darkness, yeah. like stranger things when they go into the upside down, like just that level of de- it's like that damp density of like, ugh, life felt so hard and it felt so confusing, and it's like is the revolution like getting one over on those people and having them finally admit that they did every single thing that I think they did? Or is it just being freaking happy, right? And understanding like human evolution and that I really see the next phase of human evolution is how good can it get? How can we step back into that Garden of Eden energy? And how do we go from just Innovate, innovating out of desperation and scarcity, like, oh my God, we have to invent something to save ourselves and clean the oceans and make enough money to pay rent versus like, what would you create if you just got to like chill with the infinite energy of all that is and make something beautiful? Like when I look, the example that's coming to mind is actually um, Will and Jada Smith's kids um, and the the energy that they've been able to bring to the world so early on because they've had everything that they've, they've had loving parents, they've had resources, and I know they've had their own struggles, but like those kids are making some psychedelic art that's really cool because they have the space to do it. Um, and so for me, it's like I, I, I'm right now constantly leaning up against the edge of what's the story about what's possible um, in terms of the level of joy that we can experience and how can we be revolutionary about that? And the last example coming in is, um, I don't have the full historical details, but I've heard in different ways that surfing is something that was invented by people who basically had everything they needed. They were living on an island in a chill communal situation, picking the fruit off the trees. And it was like, how much more fun can we have with the ocean? And they invented surfing, right? So I think part of it's like that fear of, yeah, what do mm. I do if it's good? Who's going to judge me? Who's going to leave me? Because they're still addicted to not feeling good. Where I come from as a coach, it's not really about you on a bike. It's not you, you know, in a, in a room, in a boot camp setting. It's, it's how does that translate to how you are in your life? And I knew that being a professional athlete myself, you know, coming from being ranked in the top 25 in the world at 100 meters and traveling the world and repping USA, I knew that it wasn't about just being an elite athlete. I knew that that wasn't it. I knew that that, that there wasn't going to be fulfillment in that. I knew that who we are on the inside needed to match those achievements and those accomplishments that we make. And for me, physicality and movement and coaching was the vehicle to get someone to see that and to understand that and to make that connection. And so that's where I come from. And that's the heart and the intention behind 
how and why I coach the way that I do. Your um, history as an elite athlete just kind of brings up for me the idea of attaching to an identity. And it sounds like you were able to not do that, but I'm sure you had moments where you did. But in terms of, you know, as a coach and coaching human beings, do you see people attaching to a certain identity? And how would you say, you know, if someone just says they are, well, I am, I am a nutritionist and that's kind of how they attach themselves to their life. How would you coach them into really embodying the true essence of who they are, of attaching more to their soul rather than to that title? Well, yeah, the title is what you do. It's not who you are, you know? So that's just, you know, from jump. It, it, it is, you know, we are in a day and age. And my sister just did this beautiful show. It was on the Hillsong, Hillsong Network. And it was now with Natalie and she really talked, she really like dove into that. I did an episode with her, but it was talking about a lot about the false identity, you know, and and we're kind of in a day and age where like follows and likes and like attached to all the wrong things that we think make us who we are interesting or we find validity in or worthiness in. And that's just not it. Like, you know, you can be extraordinary at something and not a good person. What's that? You know? So I think attaching yourself to kindness and humanity and compassion and empathy and forgiveness, you know, I think those are things that make up the material of who we are. You know, it's not what we do, but it's, it's you know, how we treat people. You know, I mean, and so that's huge for me is really getting someone to, to, to understand that, you know, because what happens is when you attach yourself to what you do and you're no longer doing that, then you lose who you are, where that was never who you were in the first place. It was just what you did. And we have to understand that the gifts, you know, we're all born with gifts and talents. Every single one of us is born with gifts and talents. Every single one of us is born in purpose, on purpose, for a purpose. We're not created to find purpose. You're not going to like, oh, let me find my purpose. Let me find why I'm here. You were already created in purpose, with purpose, on a purpose, like for a purpose, like already created with that. So really life is about exploring that and leaning into that and operating in those gifts and talents. And so I think, you know, for me, it was just really like understanding that and that that changes. You know, I used to be, I used to run track professionally. I don't do that anymore, you know? And so what is the extension of the gift? You know, coaching, you know, coaching became an extension of the gift. Speaking became an extension of the gift. You know, making music now became an extension of the gift. Like it just, what is the extension? What is the remix? What is the remix? And never attaching to just the one thing, but what's the remix, you know? And like find that flow. And I think that can keep us free, you know? And something that doesn't keep us free is limiting beliefs. And I know that we have, you know, we all have different ones that we're working with, whether we're aware of them or not. How do you coach people to recognize and then work through their limiting beliefs that they may have? It's limiting beliefs are so 
paralyzing. And what's crazy is we could take on someone else's belief system for us. Like someone could look at me and say, you're a woman, you're a mom, you're could list all kinds of things and I only hold you to this. Mm. And then we somehow come in agreement and partner with that. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Like how quickly we relinquish our right to be all that we were called, created, and intended to be because someone else had an opinion about us. And then we just relinquish the right. Like, okay, well, maybe. And so in coaching someone to break through that, it's really reminding them of the dream. Like, what is that dream that you've had since you were a little girl? Or what is that dream you've had since you were a little boy? What is that... What is that thing that keeps you up at night that has you tossing and turning? What is that, what something that you've been able to see that you've been given a vision for that no one else can see? That's attached to your purpose. And not everyone is going to be able to see that for you. And that's okay. But get around people who will breathe life into that. Get around people who believe in you and will speak to the gifts and talents. And those were the people that will help you break through those ceilings that you may not have even put there for yourself and help you break through those limitations and help you break through to the next level. But it's really surrounding yourself with people that can speak to the gift. And it's about not partnering and coming into agreement with someone else's limitations for you and remembering remembering what you've seen for yourself. Thanks so much for joining us for the best of Almost 30 2019 Part 1. Hope you loved it. Yeah, wrapping up on Thursday with our Part 2 and then me and Lindsay are doing a solo episode just so we get all the good good in before we hit 2020 and just do the damn thing. Yeah. We love you all. Thank you for listening. Um, join the secret Facebook group. If you haven't yet, it is the light on the internet. Uh, we didn't say it, but we said it. Yep. Community agrees, but um, we're just really excited to connect with you in the new year, support you in any way that we can cheer you on. We're here for you. Yeah. We love you very much. We'll see you on the next one. Bye. <laughs>